Hi guys, welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast, episode 22. I'm Alice Duckett in the uh, place of Anna Broding, who's unfortunately not very well today. Oh, I know. You, I you're so sorry not for sounding her. entirely 100% Thank there either. Thank you, Mark, so you... for not saying I'm not looking 100%, which I'm <laughs> definitely not. Uh, yeah, I'm also not fabulous, but I, you know, some of us, I guess, value the podcast more than others, Mark. Well done for making it in. <laughs> Thank you for locking us in this small room with you and your illness. I know, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry about that. Uh, so I'm joined by Greg Idden. Hello. Thank you so much for stepping in at the end of last year to edit the podcast. Thank you for giving me lots of work to do on my holiday. Yeah. How it was you, fun. How did you find it? It was really fun. Um, it was uh, interesting to see how much of uh, your life that you have to spend listening to us morons yes. and how I hate the sound of my own voice, which but is you, funny because I all talk do. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you really enjoy enjoyed playing with all those twiddly dials. Though. Oh, I did. So once got, I was done, were, I just yeah. messed yeah, all the thanks settings. thanks so much yeah. for that. Thank you so much. <laughs> you really appreciated that. Also joined by Mark Stockley. Hello. Hi. And Peter McKenzie. Hello. So as it's the start of a new year, Mark absolutely loves a cybersecurity prediction. <laughs> or actually, actually, I think he loves a prediction of any category. Prediction of the decade now as yeah, well. Yeah, so this one's for you, Mark. <laughs> Which, I by the way, it. you can't see his face. He absolutely hates predictions. <laughs> I didn't want me to put this in. Um, let's start with you. What is your You prediction? could say it's one of my pet peeves, actually. One of many. Oh, one, of, one of one many. Of, one of the cluster of pet peeves that I nurse carefully. Yeah, no, cybersecurity predictions. Predictions of all kinds. Uh, don't bother. Don't tell me your predictions. I don't care. I don't want to know. You're, you are wrong. And even if you're not wrong, you're wrong about the really important one. Because the ones you got right are the ones we could all guess anyway, because they're the things that happened last year. So don't tell me what happened last year is going to happen this year, because we know that that's going to happen. I predict. Tell me what nobody knows is going to happen this year, which you can't, because it's in the future, and information from the future can't travel back in time and tell you. So you don't know. Whatever your predictions are, you don't know. And the thing that really matters that's going to throw you <laughs> off kilter, that's really going to harm your business, is the thing you can't predict. So what do you do? Peter, have you got a prediction? Um, I've <laughs> never <laughs> seen such aggressive pen yeah. waggling I, in my life. I, 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 I literally cowering in the corner. <laughs> pen just warming up, Greg. Yeah, no, I'm not going to say anything now. I'm too afraid. So come on, what are your predictions, guys? <laughs> uh, things will get worser <laughs> and or better. <laughs> I'm not wrong and I'm not right. <laughs> I, I'm with you on this, Mark. I, I can never, you can never get these predictions right. I've got peeves these of how many pet peeves Mark seems to have now. Though. <laughs> I predict Mark will have more pet peeves by the end of this decade. Yeah, yeah that's that's pretty much guaranteed. What are your New Year's resolutions? Do you have any New Year's resolutions? Because I know, Mark, this also is a topic that you love. <laughs> <laughs> As you're in such a good mood, I just want to yeah. continue with things that you while like. You're not making, while you're not making predictions, don't make any New Year's resolutions either. And why is that, Because if Mark? it's worth doing, Get just your pen do out. it. If it's, if it's worth, don't save it up for the New Year, just do it. And if you're not going to do it, don't wait for the New Year. New Year's not going to make any difference. Just get on with it and do it. Hey, Mark, okay. tell us how Microsoft Word is involved in a $6 million fraud. Well, I picked out this story because... <laughs> You're not going to believe this. I might. Actually, before I get into this, so one of my, one of my um, let's call them pet peeves, is people who use Microsoft Word for everything. In particular, people who use Microsoft Word for sending documents to other people, because that's really not what it's for. Microsoft Word is for writing letters that you're going to print. That's all it's for. It's not for writing long documents. It can't do that. It doesn't know how to do that. It's for letters that you're going to print out and send. Don't send other people Word documents. That's not what it's for. That's full of problems. Okay? So, but before I get into why, I was going to ask you guys, if you've got any pet peeves, is there any particular 
bit of technology that kind of gets your back up in the way that people use it. And you know that it really shouldn't, because I know it's not that serious that people send each other. I have a pet peeve. And my pet peeve is reply all on email, because I find email really (laughs) annoying anyway. We work in a company where we use lots of instant messenger chats, or we can just walk over and talk to each other. Obviously, we're global. But when there's like a a, massive group of people on an email, and people reply with compliments, or with like an answer that they could just reply to one person, and I've got 57 emails to go through based on one Oh, is that my phone? I apologise. What a faux pas. <laughs> well, that actually no, so brings... just <laughs> demonstrating all the different communication that, options that are available. That or you can ring me, company. you know, you can ring me. You don't need to copy me in on the 40 person. That actually brings email. me to my pet peeve. It's um, notifications on my phone. Like My phone just makes a noise and I look at it and I go... What what app has just done this? What 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 is the new thing? Because there's like always notifications on my phone, and I'm like, is is it Skype? Is it WhatsApp? Is it Signal? Is it Facebook? What is it? Actually, I yeah, don't your computer know. is really really badly organised, by the way. Well, my computer and my phone and my life actually, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just uh, I look at my phone. And I don't know what the new thing is that it's trying to tell me about, so I just keep clearing them and. Hoping they'll stop. This is like those bug reports that say, I have a problem with my computer, isn't it? That's great, okay. I thought you were going to say you hate group chats because I'm constantly adding you to group chats about the podcast. Yeah, and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and you've noticed wife. I don't yeah. chat on them. Oh, yeah, I, and just... I even added your wife to one. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've His both left that. that group chat specifically. <laughs> yeah. He's on loads of other group chats. What about you, Greg? Do I have a pet peeve? Oh, uh, yeah. I still, to this day... I think the moment I witness this, like brain, I have a minor brain aneurysm, like brain cells die, is when people up open up Google Chrome and then in the top bar where it's got Google written on it and they type in Google and they click that and on the Google search results, they click Google and then on the box there, I'm waiting for it because I'm waiting for that day they're going to type in Google again and get stuck in an infinite loop. Just, just, ah, oh, like yeah, Firefox has had it since like 2004. You can just click in the little box, just type in the little. Yeah, that annoys me as well, actually. Yeah. See, I don't know why. Well, I, I think that is a fine set of pet peeves, guys. Oh, thanks, really, Mark. You, you did yourselves proud there. However, I, I'm not convinced that any of you have got a case for dethroning people sending each other Word documents what, as why? being the worst. What? Let me count the ways. Well, firstly, um, if you send somebody a document in Word, they have to have the same version of Word as you. And they have to have the same fonts as you. So you type out your little document and you make it look the way you want it to look and then you send it to them and then their computer will decide how it's going to look, not yours. I think someone needs to update the version of Word for all the Microsoft aficionados here. I don't know why I'm backing up Microsoft here. (laughs) They do embed fonts now. Also, inexplicably, Microsoft decided to use the HTML rendering engine from Word in Outlook. And I can't think, like, like this is the people that make Internet Explorer decided to use not Internet Explorer, but something else <laughs> as the, end, the uh, HTML rendering engine in Outlook, which, and I have, can't think of anything that has caused more lost hair and misery to my friends who are graphic designers. Mm-hmm. To be fair, they've probably used Internet Explorer and thought, well, we're not using that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but also, the, uh, we can't talk about this and not mention macros. Yes. So let's let arbitrary code execute 
in a Word document. What could go wrong? Here's Who? my letter and a virus. Who exactly needs <laughs> an electronic letter that executes code? And who decided that just because 0.0001% of people need a letter that executes arbitrary code, we should all get it? So, you know, but it's like, you know, you want a kettle, but you also want a kettle as an oven and a toaster and a washing machine. Oh, you've um, got me. Where do we get one of these kettle, kettle oster, to- <laughs> oster toaster? I'm going to shut so up. So we are now, by my reckoning, into our fourth decade of macroviruses. Because yeah. of, because yeah. of that decision, so there's that. Um, they killed Clippy. Massive pet peeve. Only good thing about it. But there is another reason too, and I will get to that at the end of my story. It's good so job. where Paul are we Duck going Finn with isn't all here this? To hear you say that you love uh, Clippy. I did it because I expected to watch like a, br- a blood vessel burst in Mark's eyes. I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm at peak peeve now. <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing peak you peeve. can add. So anyway, where where am I going with all of this? Um, well, so we get to my story. My story is about a guy called uh, Hitcham Kabage. And he is an IT executive, or he was an IT executive, and a fraudster, and one of the victims of Microsoft Word. So on Friday the 3rd of January, so it was last Friday, he uh, pled guilty to wire fraud worth $6 million. And his not-so-little scam worked like this. So... He set up a shell company called Interactive Systems. And over five years from 2015, he sent 52 invoices for uh, basically a bunch of systems and uh, a bunch of phantom systems and services. So stuff that didn't exist. A dozen servers here, a firewall, uh, and a liberal sprinkling of kind of setup fees for making it all work. Anyway, at some point after... uh, He sends all of these to his own company. Well, so he is an employee of Company One, as it's identified in the court documents, mm. and his company, Interactive Systems, is invoicing Company right. One for firewalls that don't exist, servers that don't exist, oh my goodness. and setup fees for things that don't need setting up because they don't exist. Anyway, at some point last year, somebody got wind that something was up. Uh, and not for a shortage of evidence. So it turns out, firstly, all the invoices had, in fact, been addressed to himself. So he was the person at Company One who was receiving the invoices from Interactive Systems, which was his shell company. So he was sending himself invoices and going, yep, that's legit, signing it off. Uh, But needless to say, when they were questioned, nobody else in the company had ever seen any of the kit that had been ordered. Uh, The people who were responsible for ordering kit knew nothing about it. Nobody had ever seen an employee for Interactive Systems, even though they were supposed to have been setting up this kit that didn't exist. Um, In fact, nobody at that company, one, had ever heard of Interactive Systems. And, of course, Interactive Systems had never filed a tax return. But it had made (laughs) suspicious payments to Kabaj himself of about the same amount as the invoices (laughs) were being made for just a few days after each invoice was uh, paid. And also the interactive systems weren't on any authorised reseller lists either. So these, there's a mountain of evidence here. But the bit that really stood out to my jaded eye was <laughs> this nugget from the court filings. Um, so I quote, From in or about August 2015 through in or about April 2019, interactive systems submitted to Company One approximately 52 invoices. Four of these invoices were submitted in Word document format and the metadata for these four invoices oh. identified Kabaj <laughs> as the oh author. Oh, my gosh. 
So if you go into Word and you go to File Properties Summary, you can see the metadata for a document and that metadata normally includes the person that wrote the document. So even if you don't put your name at the end of it, you can be identified as the person that wrote it. So he was writing invoices, putting his own name in the metadata inadvertently and then sending them to himself and that was used as evidence against him in court. But it sounds like this whole story was quite sloppy. It's not like he's done anything that sophisticated. I... He just managed to be undetected. Imagine the poor IT guys, like, where's all these firewalls? Like, they must have needed some actual kit at some point as well. It's just non-existent. <laughs> it's just like, hang on, but we've got four firewalls. You're not getting another one. <laughs> no, I haven't got any. Like, <laughs> but it doesn't sound like anybody else was involved in this at all. Just this one person. There's just presumably How did you get that much budget? Yeah. yeah. I, I struggle to get stationary. <laughs> Six also, million dollars worth of nothing. There was only 52 invoices for five million. So some of these Six invoices... Million. Six million. Six million. Yeah. So some of these invoices were massive and they didn't need a second person to yeah, see it at all. That's a good point. The idea yeah. of the massive rollout, sorry, this could be network outage, what, you just turn off the power for a while? Like, turned off the router while having downtime, please work from home today. Yikes. What a, yeah, that is, how did that get approval? Yeah, his boss is in Well, I mean, he approved it, it, right? Was that's there the any problem. information about no, what yeah, some maybe. of the sums were on these invoices or no? Uh, I, I don't know what the individual invoices were worth, but I think, you know, even if you just average them out, you're right. There's, they're pretty hefty invoices. Mm. It's not the idea. What kind of... I mean, that's like... That's some grade A serious dumb stuff to do. Like, as in, like, invoicing... It come off like a master No, but it criminal, wasn't like he was it? invoicing, no. like, his time as an expert or hiring in consultants or something, yeah. which, you know, it's harder to show a tangible thing, but, like, you know, like, <laughs> IT yeah. equipment. It's like, you know, where's the four <laughs> server racks? Where's the data centre that this bought? Like, you know, you would need something to at least vaguely I cover yourself. I guess so, but... and this is something that we come across. People who don't know about IT just sort of are blind to it and so if he was in a company where the people who were in the non-IT teams are just like oh yeah. a firewall whatever that is you know that's how you can get away with it because yeah. people don't know enough about uh, security yeah, I suppose God, if, yeah. they're, if it was a massive company and they're doing loads of orders all the time mm. for loads of equipment yeah keeping track of all of it is difficult so yeah there's probably suppose, plenty of ways uh, the thing that we shouldn't overlook as well is the fact that he was caught Yes. yes, that's true. So, he was caught. So, you know, something, yeah. something somewhere <laughs> worked, <laughs> rung an alarm, and he was caught, and maybe, you know, I need to stand down from red alert and admit that, you know, although he was an idiot for sending invoices in Word format, perhaps it's a good thing that he did. Mm because it was used as evidence against him. So <laughs> so I guess the interesting thing about that is on this podcast, we're often talking about hackers and external risks um, to your business. But often it's somebody that actually works within your own company mm. that's exploiting a vulnerability. And in this case, a sustained thing over five years yeah. with $6 million. And, yeah. and you, evil within. You yeah. say, like, you know, we talk about vulnerabilities a lot, meaning software vulnerabilities specifically, right. but actually your vulnerabilities can be organisational. Yeah. And even just the it size is. of your company, meaning that $6 million can go missing without anybody noticing. Yeah. You would class this as a long-dwell social engineering campaign, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you <laughs> want to make it sound all fancy. There we go. My book will I be mean, out this December. Use category if you like, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you're hoping for widespread adoption, then... <laughs> Okay, great. So moving on to you, Greg, you're going to be covering the death of Python. Yes, Python is dead. Long live Python. Um, so <laughs> Paul wrote about this on the 3rd of January on the Naked Security blog. So Python 2. Paul uh, Ducklin. 
P, P, P. Diddy, as we like to never call him internally. Never known as Paul. I never hear anybody refer to him as oh, Paul. Oh, you like to call him the duck? I was like, who is Paul? <laughs> you the mean guy who sits on the podcast yeah, yeah. almost every you week. You mean yeah. duck. Yeah, I do mean duck. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so Python is a programming language, and Python version 2 was released back in October 2000. And it's since then become pretty much one of the most world's most popular programming languages. And now it's dead. Uh, I'm actually being a little melodramatic. So Python 2 is dead. Python 3 came out in 2008, but since then, since 2008, version 2 and version 3 have basically been developed side by side. So as of now, January 1st, 2020, the support for Python 2 has officially come to an end. So I believe there's going to be like one final maintenance release this year, but that's going to be it. Python 2 has ceased to be. It's kicked the bucket. It's, I'm doing a bit. Let me do my bit. Let me do <laughs> my bit. Do bit I want to do my bit. No, 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 we're going to leave it in. Python, <laughs> Python 2. I was going to do a Monty Python thing. It's a, it's an X language. She's doing it for your own good. <laughs> so it's an intervention. <laughs> Yes, I, to be fair, Monty Python, you do need intervening. Um, all right, so if you've ever dabbled in programming or if you've like written a line of code at any point, it's probably been in Python. Uh, and I think everyone in this room has at some point used a bit of software that's written in Python. And actually, if you're pretty old, you might have even written some Python Wait, 1. Are you legitimately not the oldest person in this room? Factually? Factually? Should we do ages? Shall we do ages? <laughs> You want to know now. you're the youngest. Yeah. Well, also, I just want to know. This is when it's really sad, isn't it? He's like 50-something. Like, no, no, guys, tell me more about old people. Yeah, so so you might have written some Python 1 back in the day, Mark. <laughs> back in the dusty days of 1992, I think. Um, anyway, so the transition from like ver- Python version 1 to version 2 was actually really seamless. There wasn't a major bunch of differences between them. And actually, they kind of uh, grandfathered in a bunch of kind of ugliness from version 1 into version 2, so that transition would be really nice. But sadly, that transition from version 2 to now the only remaining supported one, version 3, is not as kind of clean as that. There's basically a bunch of what we call breaking changes. That basically means you can't run a Python 2 program in Python 3. It just won't work. You've got to literally make changes to your application to make it work. Um, And this has actually been coming for a very long time, because I think as I said, you know, Python 3 came out in 2008. And so I think they originally set the end of life date for Python 2 to be like 2015. But then everyone, you know, caused an absolute ruckus and panic. So I think they extended it out to 2020. How, how can we possibly prepare <laughs> in seven years? Yeah, it's a ridiculous <laughs> amount of time. Um, and so... Stop rushing us. And so, so yeah, it, the whole real reason why there's all these breakages is because they're trying to fix the problems in the language. They've tried to sort of make it a much more sensible language. So Python 3 is built on some much better kind of conventions. The syntax is smarter. I, as someone who writes a lot of Python, like I legit love Python 3. Um, so yes, uh, if you're using Python 2, it has ceased to be. Hang on, can I fit my bit in again? It's it ha- it's kicked the bucket. It's shuffled off its mortal coil. It's bereft of life. It's an X language. Thank you, Mark, for not it, ruining it the second time. Except for the update coming out later this year. Except for the update that's coming out later <laughs> so this what, year. So what's with that? So there is, Python 2 is dead, but Python 2.7... It's coming out something. in April. All right, let's be let's be pernickety. So the language itself is dead, but the reference implementation of the language, CPython, still has another maintenance release due out. I think it's like April or something, March maybe this year. There's going to be like one more release to, you know, tidy up the mess before it goes on its long voyage uh, down the river Styx. That's a weird analogy. 
Not sure that's an analogy. So, Greg, obviously I'm not a coder, but I'm just wondering, um, and there might be people listening also wondering the same thing, if you are somebody whose business relies on Python, could you have your whole website um, working via that? What would happen if in like six months, seven months, a year's time you haven't updated? That's a really good point. So I think the first thing to say is don't initially panic. It's gone end of life, but that doesn't mean it's going to suddenly stop working in a break. It's a it's a programming language and a runtime. It will be okay for a little bit longer to, uh, to come. Um, so it's still usable. Python 2 is still around, but the idea is that you should be looking to move away from it. It's because kinda- it's beginning become a security risk because it won't be patched. Is that exactly. right? Exactly. Ah. I love this. That's that's a, that's some solid advice. Yeah, exactly. So it's like any piece of software. If you leave it running for you know years on end without ever updating it. XP. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Vulnerabilities do emerge. So yes, you know, if you're looking to keep yourself secure and you want to be on a supported version that's going to make, you know, receive security patches and be maintained, then you should be looking to migrate away from Python and 2 to And is it similar enough to something else to migrate to without a huge amount of work learning another language? Or is it is uh, going to be a lot of work? It's like a halfway house. It's not as bad as porting something to a different language, but there are a lot of syntactic changes. Um, like the basic example is like the print statement. So in, in Python 2, it's like print space, double quotes, hello world. But in Python 3, it's a function. So it's print and then you have parentheses. Right. And then so so it literally from a syntax, from syntactic point of view, it is different. It requires So is it rewrites. just a manual task of going through and updating one of those things? Well, yeah. And I think we discussed this earlier. The big fear for a lot of companies is Python's one of those languages that not only is it kind of a programming language, but it's really useful for scripting and what I like to call like digital glue. It's a great way to just stick things together. You've got one system over there and a system over here or some application there. You can write Python because it works on like every operating system and it's a great way to glue stuff together. So for, for I fear for a lot of businesses, they're going to find that Python 2 is just around the place for different purposes, but they don't actually know what it's doing. You know, you can have a a monitor that displays like today's menu in the restaurant, but you don't realize that it's actually running on Python 2 and it's that what's pulling the images from somewhere and plopping them on the screen, for instance. Just to go back to your point, Alice, the truth is that this is something that businesses should have been worrying about five years ago. Okay. If, they were, if they're running on things that rely on Python 2, and, and I see this a fair bit, that if you run a small business, if technology is not your thing and you've outsourced that, for your own safety, you still need to understand something about what it is that your business runs on, whether it's a content management system or an application written in Python 2. You you need to understand that. You need to understand something about what it needs in order to work so that you can do advanced planning for this kind of thing. You know, I've, I've seen it with uh, content management systems like Drupal that have these, that they have breaking changes between major releases for so six to seven, seven to eight. You actually have to rewrite you know, putting in the new version of the website can be a big deal. It's not yeah. just a smooth transition from one to the other. And when you uh, buy an application, that's part of the cost of doing business. If you choose Drupal as your content management system, you need to do it with your eyes open, understanding that there will be these cliff edge jumps that you need to go through and you need to budget for. If you write something that's bespoke in a programming language, there is a cost associated with maintaining it. Right. So it's not just the cost of creating it in the first place. There is an ongoing commitment to uh, security and to to occasionally Mm -hmm. uh, needing to rewrite. I mean, if you wrote an application in Python, you've only got to rewrite it every 12 years. Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's not that frequent. And you've got a long time to think 
uh, ahead and plan for it. I yeah. think that's really good advice, though, because obviously we work for a security company now. But when I worked in the travel industry, the marketing department weren't necessarily like thinking all about this kind of thing in terms of the website and web developments. And we had a team of web developers. Yeah. But, and that would be their responsibility. Yeah. Mm. I imagine they would think about it. But there must be people who manage teams or marketing managers that just don't really consider these things are going to take a huge amount of their web developers' time uh, when they happen. And when the companies get smaller, often that entire function will be outsourced to a, to right. a third-party agency. And then, okay, the, the agency have got a duty of care to make right, sure okay. you know that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um but I often see that when it's gone wrong and, and uh. companies are kind of surprised uh, that they're suddenly having to deal with things like cliff edge changes and stuff like that. You know. Ten years warning or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're saving up their money for a fancy new redesign yes. and they end up having to spend it on just an update, a, a, a really significant update. Okay, mm. interesting. We put out a fun Twitter poll, did we not? Uh, on did. social media, yes. Very so there was, I think Mark's the total very was, proud of this poll. Yeah, I, just, I, I love the title as well. What was it? Which programming language needs to be six feet under? <laughs> and, uh, so I think at the time of our recording, the language is currently Java. What were the options? What, so was it Java, PHP, JavaScript? Yeah. And, and C++. C++. And so I'd imagine PHP was quite hard on there because that, I think that it was language second, is... But I am amazed it wasn't a runaway runner. I thought it should be yeah. I was gonna say Java. I'm I'm not so bothered by Java. It's a bit clunky in places, but it's pretty powerful. I've but got a PHP, bad reputation, PHP, though. the the language of looking through its documentation, where half the functions that are used in every application you use just say deprecated. For anyone who doesn't want deprecated, means it basically means this is end of life. Please don't like use please this. don't use this. <laughs> yeah. And it's like it works like this. Don't yeah, yeah. Please it. don't use it. <laughs> and if like you everything you use it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you were to use it, here's how. But please don't use it. And then everyone uses it. Yeah. So yeah, not not a fan. But hey, people don't like Java. Public static void. And the thing is that PHP 5, the version that everybody's using now, is is it went through its own Python 2 moment. Yeah. Was it 4 to 5, wasn't it? PHP 4 into the, the sort of clear blue skies of PHP 5. So all the kind of craziness in PHP 5 that you see, you have to remember that's the stuff that survived yeah. that, the cull from 4 to 5. Astonishing. <laughs> so, Greg, just to wrap this topic up, do you have any advice for our listeners? Yeah, I think, again, like I said, you know, don't fear. Python 2 is not going anywhere. You can continue using it, but please start planning. If you want to stay, keep your, you know, your language secure and you want the updates, get onto Python 3. Uh, uh, if you're actually relying on any software that uses Python 2, please go speak with your vendors, you know, and say, hey, you know, when are you going to migrate to Python 3? What's the, the timeline for that? And then finally, if you're any hobbyist programmers or thinking of learning programming, please don't learn Python 2. <laughs> please learn Python 3. I also think it's just a better language. So please learn 3. It's a much more sane uh, syntax. And can I add something to that? If you're not using Python 2, you're not off the hook. Because whatever software you're using, whether it's an operating system, an application, or programming language, it will have an end of life. Yeah. There will come a point where it's no longer supported, and many of them will have that already arranged. Um, so, for example, you know, Flash is going to reach its end of life, thank goodness, <laughs> at the end of this year. Wait, it's not dead. So, yeah. <laughs> oh my! Please tell me that's a joke. Um, you know, and we we st- we know that there are still people using Windows XP, and there there are there are Windows, Windows two thousand and older. So I've, I've I've seen an NT four box I know before. That was ston- some astonishing. Manufacturers that still have Windows ninety five running on uh, like on the factory floor on some yeah. machines. Yeah. I had to do some security for that. In the end, we had mm. to just literally build a just actually segregate and 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 just isolate on every single is one advice, of them. Yeah. yeah. So my my point is if. You, if you don't know what the end of life for the software you rely on is, you ought to do yourself a favour and go and find out. 
Thanks, Mark. Thank you. So, Peter, moving on to you, you're going to be giving us some tales from the ransomware swamp. <laughs> yeah, Ces- I'm wading, cesspit now, isn't wading it? through the ransomware cesspit or swamp, yeah, slowly <laughs> sinking in my little boat, yeah. It's fun how quickly you're greying at this point as well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> aged by malware. Um, yeah, so I've got a, well, a couple of stories. I mean, they're ongoing investigations at the moment. One started as recently as last night. Um, And I'm interested uh, if our listeners want more stories like this. So you can message us, uh, you can message me, Shift Print Screen on Twitter, or just Naked Security. Yeah, that'd be great. What's all the methods they can contact us? Yeah, tweet us at Naked Security. Maybe we'll do another poll, Mark, where we can ask, would they like more tales from the ransomware swamp? (laughs) Yes or no? Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, yes, we've got, I had a phone call Rash, I had a, checked my emails and realised I had three minutes' notice for joining a conference call at uh, quarter past ten last night. Where I am, um, it's fairly typical for this line of work, to be honest. Um, Back to his earlier comments about organisation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, chaotic um, lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a US uh, MSP customer. So it's a managed service provider. Yes, I'm sorry, managed service provider. So uh, a company that provides services to their customers. So this one. Um, does various things, but they have remote access to their customers' network where they can do patching and help with, you know, routine admin tasks, stuff like that. Uh, They contacted us because they had had a ransomware attack. Um, And the thing that I remember most, I mean, I remember most, it was last night, but um, the admin said his mouse started moving. And what? he realised his he wasn't the one moving it, and uh, it moved down to the taskbar and it opened up the Sophos uh, endpoint what? product on his machine oh and started trying to disable it and it didn't work. Um, but uh, he immediately realised how the attacker <laughs> was doing it. Um, yeah. Something is so, wrong. Yeah. So My funny. machine is possessed. Um, yeah. So I mean, they already knew. So that's sort of jumping ahead a little bit. They already knew that something was going on because uh, they use a remote management system uh, called ConnectWise, which from ConnectWise, it's called Automate. And it basically is a web-based console. It allows you to access your customers' machines and do loads of fancy things to, you know, save time. And one of the things that is when you take control of a machine, you take control of their mouse so they can see what you're doing. And he realised that's what the attack was doing to his machine at the time. Um, but they already were aware of the attack because the attacker, before they started doing that, had already deployed Revel ransomware, which has the other name that I can't pronounce, Sodonik, something Yeah, other. I can't say either. Yeah, Revel ransomware. Um, and they had deployed it using the automated software to about 200 machines belonging to their customers, uh, a mix of security vendors on those machines. I can happily say the ones using Sophos did stop the attack. Um, But after they had done that, they started attacking the MSP themselves because they want to cause as much Uh chaos as possible. And we can see that they were using Sophos and we stopped some of the same attack on their machines. But unfortunately... Obviously, they'd got into the Automate ConnectWise software, so they had a lot of access to do these type of things. Um, But they also acknowledged that they had a file server that had no antivirus on, and that is where the attacker was launching most of the attack from. It's where they were doing their their naughty things. Um, So we don't know how they got into the Automate software yet. Hopefully, we'll find out shortly. Maybe stay tuned for next week, and we may know. Um, But yeah, so... 
it's uh, just Please another for next week. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> uh, another one of the uh, MSPs attacked uh, using your own software to attack your customers, putting the MSP in a very difficult position because it's not their data they've lost. Well, they have lost their data, but it's not just their data they've lost. It's their customers, and it was their fault. So there's some there's some c- common elements here, aren't there? So things that crop up quite a lot in your stories. So that you said their server was unprotected. Yes. So one of them. Yeah. This seems to crop up a lot. So for some reason, yeah. companies think some computers need antivirus software or anti or they just forget. Yeah. And some don't, or they don't. But presumably they knew that this file server existed. It wasn't just oh, yeah, some it was their main device. file server. Well, this goes back to Pete, because you, you and I uh, started off our time in Techsport a long, long time ago. Long time Remember, ago. it was uh, Conficker, right? We and still every- have Conficker. Oh, God. But every <laughs> outbreak that you'd end up finding where someone's got Conficker detections on loads of machines, it was always just some machine somewhere yeah. in the network that wasn't protected. And that's the foothold. Yeah, that it's the same with spread. WannaCry now. We still see WannaCry detections more than any other detection. And it's all from unprotected machines dropping it onto your protected machines on the network. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and they. Uh, these two stories are linked to different ransomware, but the the way this attack worked was they executed PowerShell. So they used the Automate software to execute PowerShell on the remote machines. That PowerShell is uh, what we've, we've seen it used by this group before. It connects to Pastebin, and on Pastebin, there is a big library of code, basically, and it's a technique called reflective injection. Basically, you've got all of this code on Pastebin, and then right at the bottom of it is this giant blob of base64 encoded text, and when you decode it, it is actually a DLL that gets injected into memory. That DLL is the ransomware. It is Revel ransomware. So in a sense, it is a fileless attack. It's just using PowerShell on, you know, the PowerShell XE on disk. It connects to Pastebin, loads it into memory, starts encrypting data. So it's a very clever trick. Uh, it, as I said, we did stop it, um, but it's a very sneaky trick, and we've seen this group doing this before. Now, the other attack I was going to talk about, uh, again, ransomware, I'm afraid. Um, this one's called Medusa ransomware, which I admit is not one I've seen before, so I don't know if it's new. But uh, uh, what I wanted to highlight here was we're no longer in the world of just malware anymore. Hacking and malware are two very different things. Malware is software. Hacking is people, basically. Um, so this uh, this customer, they contact us. So the US organization as well, roughly about 5,000 machines and the end result of this attack was 250. I mean, they're still counting. 250 of their servers got encrypted. Ooh. And their first thing to us was, you didn't detect anything. Nothing at all. You didn't stop this. So we looked at their console and we immediately said, well, actually, in November, they tried to attack you the first time round. We can see November 21st, they launched a ransomware attack. Same ransomware and using the same technique of PowerShell connecting to Pastebin, injecting it into uh, into memory, although it was Medusa ransomware this time. So in order for that to have been detected, an attacker is already inside the They're company. They've already gained access to the network. We don't know how yet. We'll hopefully find that again. Stay tuned for next week. But um, yeah, we'll hopefully find it. It'll probably be RDP. But, um, yeah, so they, they launched that attack on November 21st. So someone's inside someone's this company's inside. network in They November. will have almost certainly already got domain admin credentials and probably launched this from a domain controller, probably using PSExec. I am 
just going from post uh, past experience here, but we will hopefully find out. And it, they launched it on multiple machines, a few hundred, and it was stopped, easily stopped. And nothing else happened. And then on the 23rd of December, the same attacker, we, well, we were assuming the same attacker because it was Medusa ransomware again. But instead of running it via the PowerShell script, they'd actually just turned it into an XE and were just running the XE on the machines instead. And between the 23rd and the 28th of December, we saw the hash of the XE changed a few times. They'd repacked it. They'd made a few tiny little changes. They were just trying to get around us. And it failed, and we found it on more and more machines. And then on the 30th, the third, well, third sort of final attack, they created a service called Backup Plan that would basically execute PowerShell, but instead of connecting out to Pastebin to load the PowerShell into memory, it actually had all of that same PowerShell in a text file they'd already copied to disk. So they'd right. copied this text file to disk into the Windows temp folder, it's called dmx.txt, and the service would use PowerShell to inject the contents of that text file into memory, basically. Then, just like we've seen Team Snatch do recently, they used BC Edit, which is a thing for editing the BIOS, and basically forced the machines to reboot into safe mode, mm. automatically <laughs> launching this yep. service, which started the ransomware attack. And typically, I think Microsoft be best practice and what they tell vendors like us is to not run exactly. antivirus or security stuff in safe mode. The that's, idea that's, of well, that was that's the, the whole truth, point of safe mode. That was the yeah, whole exactly. point of safe You're mode. Not running it. Nothing starts in safe mode. But unfortunately, attackers have now found ways of starting malware in safe mode. So, yeah, when, they, when the customer says... We didn't stop this. It's like, yeah, we did. Actually, you were on your Christmas holidays. You weren't paying attention, and we don't want to blame the victim here. But they admitted that they didn't have anyone looking at the console. They didn't have a sort of organised security team. So all these warning signs that this wasn't just a bit of malware being detected and removed. This was a persistent hacker inside their network, trying, failing, trying, failing, trying, succeeding, for months. For, yeah, from November 21st until December 30th when it finally yeah, worked. Over a month, yeah. And who knows, it may come back again in the future. I mean, hopefully not. But um, yeah, so we're in a different world now. It's not just oh, AV, it's detected it, cleaned it up, problem solved. Well, it's the attack vector as well, isn't it? Because when it comes to someone that's already inside your network as well, a lot more security technologies are needed anyway. I mean, I'll, go, I'll, I'll reuse an analogy I often tell people, which is that... Um, Security is kind of like CCTV, and people need to think of it like you would have CCTV. So yeah, you got to, you know, you're, you know, let's say an office, and you put some CCTV cameras there. And what's your goal with them? What's your purpose of having that security? Is your goal to stop a burglar from ever being able to break in? Or is your goal to just, if someone does break in, you've got video evidence to prove it? Because if your goal is to stop the burglar from ever getting in, then you have to have someone manning the CCTV. It's useless if you're just sat there recording these things and not actually paying any attention to what it says. You know, the same thing here. You've got someone that's like, you know, trying to break in. It's literally repeat, you know, repeatedly trying to break in, trying to break in, trying to break in from within. I mean, I'm sure if they looked at the console, they'd see the source yeah. was from within their network. Yeah. But because no one's manning it, then it's like the CCTV that you're just using it for in case you get broken into. It's yes. like, well, you, at this point, it's only useful after the fact. And it's not just manning it. You've actually got to take action when yeah. you see something. Mm -hmm.
So I like the analogy about um, security cameras, and I think we all agree that there is a human element required in security. But you're saying that this happened over Christmas and they targeted it when they knew that there wasn't going to be a human there. But there are cases with some businesses that are just small and they don't have the resources that they never have a human element in their security. Um, what advice could you give to those people? Yeah, unfortunately for small businesses, they are more at risk. They're, they're helping, hoping not to be targeted just because there's a lot of them um, compared to massive enterprises that do have security teams or might have a security team. Um, so the smaller the business, um, really the answer is uh, back to the first story of outsourcing to an MSP. Is that considerably expensive though? Imagine if you're just one person with a website selling a service or a product online and you're making uh, a high turnover, but you don't actually have a massive team. Well, yeah, it, I mean, it, it depends what you're getting the outsourced MSP to do. Mm. Um, but generally, the concept behind MSP is that it is cheaper to go to an MSP to do some things than hire someone right, that you don't okay, need 24-7 yeah. kind okay. of thing. Yeah, as the name dictates, it's someone to manage your security yeah. for you. Yeah. But okay. that's why MSPs then themselves become targets, yeah. isn't mm. it? Because they're just, it's I another see. kind of company and they're managing lots of other companies. Yeah. And so they're a bit of a jackpot if you can if you can get into an MSP. Yeah, so if you are outsourcing, question your MSP provider. What kind of precautions are they taking to secure their network and therefore your network? Do they have two-factor authentication on, for example? I mean, I, I feel like this is it's kind of a new story and it's an old story because for as long as I can remember, security has been about defence in depth. Mm -hmm. it's, it's always been about this idea that any one layer by itself cannot stop everything because every layer has inherent weaknesses. And so you've got to have multiple layers of security. And once somebody gets inside your company, that's when it really, really matters because the easy part is keeping them out. It's much, much harder to get rid of them once they're inside the company. And I think your story is really interesting because it shows what's, what's happening here is there is a person who has got plenty of time and a, and a foothold and admin rights, they've got an enormous amount of power and they're just biding their time deciding and trying different things out and seeing what they can do. Now, there are ways of picking up that somebody's trying to do that, but eventually they're going to find a way around your protection because they've got, they've got no limit. Unless you discover that they're there, they have the yeah. luxury of time to figure out what to do. No, and what, what seems to happen in an awful lot of cases, uh, Peter, is... is what they're going for is the security software that, you know, they basically, they try a bunch of tactics. You know, they use fileless malware because yeah. they think, ah, oh, antivirus can't detect fileless malware. Well, guess what? It can. So eventually they're trying to actually switch off the endpoint. Yeah, if you can't uh, beat them, security itself. turn them off. <laughs> Which yeah. goes back to Pete's, because you said at the start about, you know, that there's a difference between malware and hacking, right? Malware is software, hacking is humans. Because the indiscriminate nature we're seeing in, in this kind of ransomware attacks on every size of business is usually because they've just left, a, you know, a technology open to the world. And I think one of the common ones, you even said it earlier, was like RDP. Yeah. It's like the first go-to, it's probably RDP, how they got in. Um, and it, it is this craziness of people leave, you know, a, a computer open to the internet. And it's not, you know, when you think about it like an endpoint security, Security product that you've installed, defense in depth dictates. You know that's solving one problem, maybe malware. But what about if the bad guy's got username and password, has got remote access, and is just moving your mouse around on the screen? What if he's a member of your staff? Yeah. What if he's a member of your staff? And that's this defense in depth. Is that you know same scenario that we had here where someone's been compromised? You just need to think about what other technologies can we have in place should one fail. 
right? You've got to have multiple points, of, you know, multiple layers of defense so that you don't have that all eggs in one basket kind of problem. And I think understanding the impact of when these attacks do succeed, because mm. a lot of people think, well, that's too costly. I, I can't afford this. I can't have a 24-7 team of 10 security analysts. Yeah, but if you lose 250 servers, how much is that going to cost mm -hmm. you? Yeah, yeah. Mm. How long can you afford to be out of business? Exactly. Yeah, really good point. <laughs> cool. Thank you, Peter. And thank you, uh, Greg and Mark. So just to wrap up, can you tell us where we can find you on social media? Mark Stockley? You can find me at Mark Stockley on Twitter. Greg? Uh, you can find me as at Secbug on Twitter and Secbug on... <sighs> Secbug on Reddit. I'm the world's worst username. <laughs> um, well, Peter M or at Altshift Print Screen on Twitter. Cool. I'm at Ali Rouge on Twitter and we're at Naked Security. We do have a brand new YouTube channel, which it would make all of us look wonderful if you could subscribe. We're doing, <laughs> especially me, we're doing um, lots of video content on there right now. If there's anything specifically you want us to dive into and give you some information on, we are very happy to do it on that channel. So just let us know. And thanks for listening, guys. Until next time, stay, stay secure. secure.